Um, we're continuing with this series, Higher Dimensions, Higher Dimensions in Relationships. And today I want to deal with two powerful topics. I want to look at trust and vulnerability. Trust and vulnerability. So we're going to start off with trust. Father, we open ourselves to you. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you, and we ask that you give us revelation knowledge. Let this not just be information. Let it be an impartation of revelation that transforms all our relationships. Let this be life-changing. Let this message not be robbed from the people of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Trust is a foundational pillar in relationships. You can't have a sustainable relationship with another human being if there's no trust. Amen. Everyone you interact with, you have a trust bank account with them. If I say to the guys in the media team, I will bring the duplicator machine, the CD duplicator, I will bring it to you. If I don't bring it to them, two weeks go by, three weeks goes by, and I haven't done it, I'm taking a withdrawal from my trust bank account with them. Amen. And the last thing we want is to end up in overdraft with people. How many feel that sometimes when we fail to deliver on what we said we would deliver on, we're now in overdraft? I want to ask you this question. What is your trust bank account like with your spouse? What is your trust bank account like with your boss? What is your trust bank account like with your kids? You cannot have a sustainable relationship with another human being outside of trust. How many of you know that in business, it's business at the speed of trust? People will do business with you because they trust you. Some of you are not doing business with certain people from certain groupings of people simply because you don't trust them. I think I've shared with you before how there's a particular organization. Um, these guys basically paid me up front the last three, the last three years. They paid me up front for all the work I was going to be doing for them for the whole year. Now, why would they do that? They trust that Paul will deliver. Amen? They trust that Paul will do what he said he would do. They trust that Paul will not run away with the money, but he will deliver. And with this particular organization, well-known company, there wasn't even a contract signed. There wasn't even anything signed to say, if I don't deliver, this is what they will do. Now, they've got systems in other areas, but somehow with me, they trusted that it will take place. Amen? There was another person I was dealing with and I'd done a team intervention for them, well-known organization. I'd, I'd dealt with this guy before, I'd delivered before. I sent through to him my invoice. I've shared with you some of, the, some, some of this, I've shared with some of you. I sent through my invoice for the work that I'd done and I sent through a detailed report describing how the team session went, who said what, a detailed report. This guy then, sends me an email. He was supposed to send it to the team leader that I had dealt with, but it came to me by mistake. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It came to me by mistake, and he was basically asking this team leader, he said, can you please verify, I need to sign off invoices of Paul. Can you please verify that this work was done, as the report says, and can the staff validate 
How many of you know that that's a low trust environment? Okay, I'm giving you the evidence of what I've done, but you still need it to be verified by the staff members in the team, not even the team leader. The team leader can't just say, oh yes, Paul did do that. Can the staff validate? How many of you know that if you're not trusted in business, people won't do business with you? How many of you know that when you're trusted, things work out very quickly? Amen. Now, in our relationships, we must stop picking the fruit when the issue is actually a trust issue. Have you noticed sometimes we interact with someone and we say, why didn't you do this? Or we've always got a plan B. We've always got a plan C. And the real issue is, I no longer trust you. You know those people when you ask them to do something for you, but you always have to have a plan B or plan C because you're just not too sure whether it will be done or not. That's a low trust environment. I want to ask you a question. What is the impact of low trust? When you're not trusted by people, what is the impact? Number one, isolation. You isolate yourself, don't you? You know those people who used to raise their hands at work, who used to raise their hands in church and want to go the extra mile. Now they're withdrawing. Now they've withdrawn at an emotional level. Watch out for that because maybe the issue is low trust. Paul, I'm not putting my hand up anymore. If you put your hand up and you speak out in this boardroom, you get walloped. You get victimized. I'm not raising my hand anymore. I'll just do my own thing from now onwards. Low trust. I'm never going to talk to a man again. I don't need a man in my life. All men are dogs. Question, are all men dogs? Okay, some of you clearly ladies are not sure. All right? Some of the ladies in the room are thinking, well, Paul, it just depends what type of dog. Some are chihuahuas. Some are huskies. Not all men are dogs. But why does this woman think that all men are dogs? It's because of her experiences. We don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. She's viewing the world through that lens of broken trust. And some of you are in a space where you don't trust anymore because of the wounds that you've experienced. And it's coloring your personality. It's coloring how you view the world. You're allowing what someone did to you. You're allowing it to define who you are today. Can you see we're dealing with different types of people? We're dealing with the issue of being trustworthy as a person and we're dealing with the issue of learning to trust again. And for some of you, you have to learn to trust again. I remember when I was growing up, my parents did some marriage counseling and I remember they had a book in their, in their lounge and it was entitled To Love Again. How many of you know it's one thing to love, it's another thing to love again when you've been hurt? Come on now. It's one thing to love. It's another thing to learn to love again. And one of the chapters, I still remember the chapter. I don't remember the content, but I'll never forget it. One of the chapter titles, headings, it said, how to open up a closed spirit. How many of you know that when you've been hurt, when trust has been broken, when you've been betrayed, very often people around you have to learn to open up your spirit because your heart is closed. Amen? And when your heart is closed towards people, it's also closed towards God. It's the same heart. A door can't be open and closed at the same time. It's the same heart. That's why we say that numbing cannot be compartmentalized. You can't say I'm numbing myself to pain, but at the same time you're open to joy. 
You have to feel certain pain and go through a grieving process if you're also going to experience the depth of joy. This is what does scripture say? It says that he was acquainted. He was a man acquainted with grief and sorrow. But at the same time, it says he was anointed with the oil of joy above his fellows. You cannot experience the fullness of joy if you also are not willing to embrace sorrow. Amen. If I think of, and I'm hoping you'll have a chance to hear um, my brother here, Pastor Israel, you, to hear his testimony, the pain he's been through in his life, but just how resilient he was. Things that have happened to him where you think to yourself, yo, for someone to go through this type of grief and this type of pain. Amen. My question to you is, are you willing to trust people again? Are you willing to trust people again? And are you willing to be trustworthy yourself? I still remember coaching a particular person in one organization. And they said, Paul, can you help me with trust? Paul, I've got trust issues. I said, okay, let's explore this. I asked this individual more than two questions deep. You must always ask people more than two questions deep. Amen. I asked this individual more than two questions deep. And guess what I discovered? I ended up saying to the person, can you see what's happened? Because of what two people did to you at high school, now all the 200 people that you know, you don't trust anymore. In psychology, we call it transference, where you have one bad experience with someone and you transfer it onto everyone. You hear people saying, never again, Paul, never again will I do business with those types of people. Fill in the blank. <laughs> okay. And never again, I will never do it. And then God gives you that very person for your breakthrough. And they come alongside you, but you sabotage the relationship because of your wound. Is there a group of people out there? We're going to teach on prejudice sometime. But is there a group of people out there that you've shunned because you don't trust them anymore? It could be a particular ethnic group. And you're saying, I will never work with them again. Maybe you've been hurt by Christian business people. And now you've made a vow and you've said, I will never do business with church people again. Because Paul, they hurt you. They never meet your expectation. I will never again do business. Then you're praying for breakthrough. And God wants to use a church person as a vehicle for your breakthrough. But you've now blocked that. Amen. You know that if you don't trust people, you'll never pass the ball in sport. How many of you like soccer here? Those of you who didn't, you now like it because of some of us, right? Anyway, if you're in the 65th minute and you've just got a few minutes to go, a few minutes left in the game, what do you see happening? You see this person who was a defender is now acting like a striker because they don't, they don't want to pass the ball to Sean Roberts over there because Sean Roberts let me down the last time. So now I'm going to be a glory boy. You all know what a glory boy is. I'm going to go on my own. And they hoof it over the goalposts each time because they don't trust anymore. Maybe you've been wounded, maybe you've been hurt, and now you're saying, I will never delegate anymore. Paul, I've been burnt before. But the problem was actually you, because you're delegated to the wrong person. Paul, it's safer if I just do it myself. For us to have sustainable, healthy relationships, we have to learn to trust. Some of you don't trust authority figures. You were hurt by your own fathers, and now you're projecting it onto all of us. So you don't trust your pastor. Not because of anything I've done, but because of what your father didn't do. Amen? Amen. And now you project onto us, you're like, hey, let me play it safe. But I've got my boys. I've got my girls. 
They're the ones I'll hang out with. I'll never seek counsel from my pastors. I don't trust these people. Yet those are the very people God is bringing into your life to be a blessing to you. Amen? What are some of the other consequences of a low trust environment? I say to you, there's isolation, so we withdraw. There's paranoia. All know what paranoia is. It's the persecutory superego. It's where you feel the whole world is against you. Your boss gives you a bad review and you decide in your mind, I'm sure he's told everyone. The CEO walks past you and doesn't greet you. You're like, you see, there. Mm -hmm. They've been told. Right? How many of you know that if you've got a negative view of the world, you'll always look for the evidence for that negativity? Because the world around you has to catch up with how you view yourself. If I see myself as ugly, as stupid, as a failure in life, guess what? When you come to me and you give me feedback and you say, Pastor Paul, you quoted the wrong verse there. I'll be like, you see, I'm a failure, I'm stupid, right? There's the evidence for it. And that's what some of you do. You've, you've got a low self-esteem and you keep projecting it onto people around you. If you feel rejected and you've got a root of rejection, you know what will happen? You'll walk into church looking for evidence to support it. Yeah, I'm sure they will not greet me. They will not greet me. And that's what you've got faith for. That's what you've actually got faith for. You see, they will not greet me. And then the pastors are busy talking to someone else and they don't greet you and you say, there, exactly. Exactly, you see it. Exactly, you see it. Right? And that's the space a lot of people live in because of low trust. So when trust levels are low, there's isolation, there's paranoia, everyone is against me, this isn't the church for me, they're all these successful people and I'm a nobody. Then there's also violence. There's also violence. And very often violence is not physical. Often violence is actually verbal. So you were once that person who would crack jokes. You would build people up with your sense of humor. But now you're sarcastic. Now you say certain things and there's always a sting to what you say. Because of the hurt and the resentment that you're experiencing in your life. Amen. God wants to take us to a place where we learn to trust and we learn to be trustworthy. Without trust in a relationship, the relationship soon crumbles. Let me show you this. In Exodus chapter 18, verse 21, the Bible says, Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God. This is interesting because when you see how Moses was functioning and how Moses was going to delegate, look at the principles here. It says, you shall select out of all the people, able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these leaders of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. Now that's lots of people we're dealing with, isn't it? This is not just arbitrary leadership in a corner. These are people who are leading thousands of people. And you know what I find interesting here in terms of the qualification? Can you see that only one thing talks about gifting? It says they must be able. So competence is important, isn't it? But can you see that everything else is talking about character? It says they must be able men. So we want people who are able. But then everything else is to do with character. It says they fear the Lord. It says that they are men of truth. 
It says that they hate dishonest gain. This is so powerful. It says that you shall place these men as leaders. Do you know what we found in the church? Do you know what we found in businesses? And in fact, in the Q&A section in the business seminar yesterday, this actually came up. And one of the things one of the entrepreneurs was telling us was that, you know what? They value character issues, culture fits, value alignment, alignment of values. They value that more than talent. How many of you know that sometimes talent is overrated? Come on now. There are certain things you can teach people and they end up doing really, really well. But when it comes to attitude issues, your attitude determines your altitude, doesn't it? All right? You don't want to end up being what we call the brilliant jerk. What's the brilliant jerk? It's that person who's smart, they're clever, they're intelligent, but no one wants to work with them. Why? We don't really trust them. Amen? The mistake a lot of people make is they think that my talent alone will make me successful in life. Your talent alone doesn't make you successful. There's so many people who are naturally talented, but they're not successful. If you look at Lionel Messi, just in keeping with my soccer illustration, if you look at Lionel Messi, if you look at Cristiano Ronaldo, I'll mention both of them so that the church is not divided, okay? Right? The top two best players in the world. Let's not argue about that. I think, you know, they, they, they've been winning the Ballon d'Or. You know, they've been sharing it. Okay, those two. Are they naturally talented? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. But if you go to the streets of Rio, you will see some people when it comes to natural talent who are way better than those two. But why aren't they playing for La Liga? Why aren't they playing for the Premier League? You have to mix your natural talent with discipline, with desire, that's competitive fight to win, okay? And character and self-belief. Those other qualities go hand in hand with talent. Talent alone will not make you successful in life. Amen. Amen. Now, there are three types of trust. The first type of trust is functional trust. Functional trust. Functional trust is basically, I will do what I said I will do. If you want people to trust you, have functional trust. If I say to my wife, my love, um, what I'm gonna do is I'll fetch Samuel from his play date and then uh, I'll go and get some bread and milk and I should be at home by 2 p.m., right? If I say that and she believes that Paul will do what he said he would do, give or take 20 minutes because of traffic, it means that there's some degree of functional trust in the marriage, amen? With some of you, your spouse says things like that to you and you send them multiple reminders. Why? You've been burnt before. Trust levels alone. And then you begin to fight because he then says, don't you trust me? Why do you keep reminding me of things? Don't you know I'll do it? What is the functional trust like in your relationships with the people around you? What is the functional trust like in your relationship with your boss at work? In your relationship with your pastors and your leaders in the church setting? The second type of trust is relational trust. Relational trust is I feel safe with you. I can open up and share my issues with you. I, have, I counsel people and sometimes people say, I've never, I've never told anyone this pastor. I've never told... It gets a bit scary when people start saying, I, even my husband, my husband doesn't really know to this extent. He just knows the high levels. Then I start feeling uncomfortable, all right? <laughs> what am I saying to you? To what extent do you have relational trust in your relationships? I want to say this, that the safest place a woman must, must feel in the world, a safest place for her should be in the arms of her husband. And someone qualified the other day and they said, Paul, and it's also the other way around. 
It's also the other way around. Safest place for a husband must be in the arms of his wife. Amen. Some of you are great counselors today, not because you naturally had counseling skills, but because people trust you. How many of you can raise your hand if I say to you, you have lots of people coming to you and asking you questions and opening up about personal issues. They just come, they just come, they just come, even when you don't want them to come. How many of you, that's you? Right, wanna take your names afterwards and you'll join the counseling team. <laughs> Pastor Vim, can you get hold of their names? Yeah, because too many Christians in church settings, they're like, hey Pastor, people just come to me and I'm always canceling, I'm always canceling people. Canceling what? Canceling out? I'm always counseling people, Pastor, I'm always counseling people. But then we can't use you in church because we don't know. Or you like to just do it with your friendships and so on, but not in the church setting. Amen. We need more counselors. Amen. Those of you who raised your hands, who are passionate about it, we want to train you. We want to equip you. We want you to come to meet on, on Monday nights. Come to meet and learn about these things. Amen. Okay, let us know, please, after the service, I'm actually being serious, after the service, speak to Pastor Wimbai, you all know Pastor Wimbai, she spoke brilliantly last night, just wave Pastor Vim, alright, give her your names, okay, and we want to train you up, and we're not going to release people to counsel on our behalf who aren't trained, amen, we want to be on the same page in terms of what we believe and why, so that's relational trust. You know what's so sad for me is in many marriages today, when a wife or a husband is going through difficulties, the first person they phone is their sister or their mother. And the husband doesn't even know what's going on. And the husband's like, why didn't you tell me this? There's no relational trust. Ask yourself, do you feel comfortable sharing with your spouse? Who do you feel comfortable sharing with? Do you feel safe with them? Do you know that you can share certain things and they're not gonna spread rumors? about you that's relational trust the third type of trust is a term i've coined is capability trust in other settings you might hear of it as competence trust or ability trust but this is where you have sharpened your saw what is sharpening your saw you've worked on your craft that people can say yes here's a microphone you can lead worship how many of you know that leading a craft isn't it we, we, can't, we can say, I trust you, my brother, with my secrets. I trust your integrity. I know you're, gonna, you're not going to cheat on your wife or steal money from the church. I know that. Right? But doesn't mean that we trust you to have a microphone and lead us in worship. That involves ability also, doesn't it? You can have character, but you also need ability for certain things. And the people who build strong credibility are people who have character but they also have competence are you hearing me what i appreciate about people like jimmy we're talking about it with Stuart the one day all know jimmy the big guy they just wave so that they know the context thank you right jimmy when he initially auditioned and it's such a good example of when he initially auditioned a couple of years ago for band he didn't make it Jimmy didn't make the cut, but he was given feedback. Work on this, work on this, work on this. He personally invested financially and time-wise, he works a full-time job, into vocal training. How many of you know that when it comes to singing, a lot of us are actually potentially good singers, but we don't treat our voice as an instrument? Are you hearing me this morning? How many of you know that you have to learn to play the guitar? You can't just say, I'm naturally talented. No, you don't know the notes. Our voices are instruments, and sometimes when we get input from certain people, 
I know with some people it doesn't work, especially if you're tone deaf and things like that, okay, so it's not everyone. But for a lot of people, if they just get input in terms of a vocal coach, they go to their next level. And Jimmy is one of those people, and I want to commend him for that. Amen? But some people, they will fail an audition, and then they'll take offense. There was a guy a number of years ago, and none of you, I don't think any of you will remember, it was years ago, and he came, and he was from some kind of music background or something, so he told us, yeah, I did this in my old church, I didn't know, he didn't make the cut when he was auditioned. We didn't see him in church again, I think he was offended. That's pride, amen? That's pride. Don't be too proud that you don't work on your competence. People will trust you when you're strong on functional trust, you do what you say you will do. They'll trust you when you're strong on relational trust, they can open up to you without feeling victimized. And they'll trust you when you're someone who's getting better, you're working on your craft. Can I hear an amen? amen. Now, what are some common trust destroyers? What are the things that destroy trust? When you break a promise. When you break a promise. If I know that I've got a deadline for Friday, let's not, let me not wait until Friday for you to then say, Paul, have you done it yet? Then I say, can you give me up to Tuesday? Because trust is eroded. You start wondering, is Paul aware of his deadlines? Amen? By Wednesday, I should be telling you, hey, this Friday deadline, can we push it out, please? Amen. Then you know Paul is aware of the deadlines and the promises that he has made. Inconsistency. How many of you that trust is eroded when we're inconsistent? Can you see that trust is very behavioral? There are things you do that build trust and there are things you do that erode trust. Okay? Another thing that erodes trust is where you collect injustices over a time period instead of confronting a matter. Have you noticed that? So you say, hey, Jimmy, yeah, you know what? Uh, three weeks, three months ago, when you said that thing to me, yeah, remember that ignite three months ago. Hey, I was offended, Jimmy. I was offended. Jimmy's like, well, I'm really sorry. I've forgotten exactly what I said, but okay, if I offended you, I'm sorry about it. But you know what will happen with Jimmy? He's thinking to himself, but in between today and when I said that thing, supposedly, You've laughed at my jokes, you've responded to my WhatsApps, you've encouraged me, you've even given me a birthday present. Now, from now onwards, I'll have to see beneath the smiles. Because I don't know where I stand with you. Because you're smiling all along, but you are carrying this thing. I want to encourage you in your relationships. If you don't want trust to be eroded, make sure you address things promptly. Amen. Okay? If you've got an issue with your spouse, address it before you go to bed at night. Okay, don't carry it. Do you know that it's been found that the consequences of confrontation are far less severe than the consequences of concealment. The consequences of confrontation are far less severe than the consequences of concealment. When you conceal a matter, it becomes like liquid mercury, it just spreads, 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 spreads. You don't know who knows now, you're now gossiping about the person, etc. When you confront a matter and you have a difficult conversation, you're tackling it head on and Paul knows where he stands with you. Amen. And I believe this is where God is taking us. Another thing that destroys trust is saying yes when you really want to say no. Another thing that destroys trust is not communicating, especially in times of change. If you just keep quiet and you say, no, I won't tell my people. Let's say you're a leader in a team. I won't tell them what's going on until I have the perfect information. Watch out for that. Do you know why rumors spread in organizations? A rumor is a story. 
A rumor is a story. And rumors spread in organizations and in churches because leaders aren't telling the true story. They're keeping quiet. How many of you know that a basic need that every human being has is the need for certainty? And so because they want to be certain about certain things, what do they do? They make up the story. They say, ah, you know what's actually happening? Think of what happened in this country when there was that delay and we didn't know what was going to happen in terms of president. Is he going to resign or not resign? Everyone automatically became an expert on politics. Have you noticed that? Yeah, no, what's actually going to happen is this. Yeah, no, no, they're actually having a conversation about this and so on. People make up stories just to have peace of mind mind because they want certainty. If you want trust to grow in the team that you lead at work, if you want trust to grow in your small group, always over communicate. What do I mean by over communication? Sometimes it's about going to your people and saying, you know what guys, that change we spoke about, it's still on the cards, it's still actually happening, but um, we're just waiting for a signature from that person. They're still on maternity, but they'll be back next week and then they're going to sign off. Whew, everyone is calm. Are there certain things that you're not talking about or you're not transparent about that you should be talking about? When you talk about them, trust increases. Amen. Hidden agendas or unclear expectations happens a lot. Some of you are working in environments today where you're told, hey, you know what, Gabriel, can you just join us on this particular project, please? So you think you're just assisting. After two weeks, what happens? Scope creep. You all know scope creep, right? Where the scope is enlarged. And now, uh, how far are we on that job? Oh, I didn't know I'm the one who's giving all the updates. And then a few days later, so what are the next steps on that project? Before you know it, you're now leading it. But when they asked you, they were not clear about the expectation. Amen? And trust is often eroded. Can you see how trust is very behavioral? There are things we do that build trust, and there are things we do that erode trust. But people will do business with brands they trust. People will do business with brands they have an emotional connection with. Is there that emotional connection you have with the people around you? Your spouse, your parents, your friends. So what commitments can someone make in order to build trust? This is where you say to people, I commit to do what I say I will do. And when I don't, I will tell you. So I'm not over-promising and under-delivering. I commit to do what I say I will do. And when I can't do it, I will tell you in advance. I'll be open about it. I commit to not over-promise and under-deliver. It's a commitment you make. If you confront me about gaps that I've created, I will acknowledge it. You know when people take ownership, it's nice to work with people who take ownership. Worst thing is working with people who never admit things. They always blame other people. You know the kind of people I'm talking about. There's always someone else to blame. Please don't be like that. Amen? If you want people to trust you, acknowledge when you've made a mistake. Be the first one to raise your hand and say, it is me. It was I. I messed up. Another thing you can say to the people around you is, you know what I want to tell you? I want there to be trust in this relationship. So when there's a gap between what I expect and what I experience, I'll fill it with trust. In other words, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. So when you're running late, I don't automatically think you're lazy, you're uncommitted, you're disrespectful. When you're running late, I'm making a commitment that I'm going to choose trust over suspicion. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Amen? When I catch someone filling the gap with suspicion, I'll defend you. It's wonderful having those types of relationships. 
if I'm friends with Sean Roberts over here, I can make that commitment. I can say, whenever I catch someone filling that gap with suspicion over trust, with regards to you, I'm going to defend you. So if someone comes to me and they say something about Sean, Sean has the full confidence in our relationship that Paul will stand up for him. Sean has the full confidence in our relationship that Paul will actually say to this guy, huh? I don't know Sean this way. Let's go and check with Sean. Amen? How many of you have had an experience where someone says something about you? Right? To someone you are close to. And they come and they're fuming. And they say, how could you, Emily? How could you have done it? And Emily is like, done what? Done what? No, I actually didn't do it. Paul, are you going to believe someone who you've just known for two seconds over me? Who you've known for a number of years? For six years? Are you following me this morning? Trust is so key in relationships and it's the cause of a lot of breakdowns. Another commitment to make is if I see something that erodes my trust, because you will see those things, but you make a commitment and you're saying, if I see something that erodes my trust, I will come to you directly. I will not go via via. I will not go via via. You know what that does to that person on the receiving end? They know that if Paul hasn't said anything to me in the last two weeks, I know that things are fine. Because if he's got an issue with me, he's made a commitment that he'll speak directly to me. I will not hear it from someone else. The worst thing is if you're working with people and you hear it coming from someone else. Amen? Can we make a commitment that we will be strong when it comes to trust in our relationships? I want to encourage you in your intimate relationships, talk to each other and say, where we at in our trust bank accounts with each other? Where we at in terms of functional trust? Where we at in terms of relational trust? And where we at in terms of capability trust? One guy was saying in one of my sessions, hey, you know what, Paul, you're making me think a bit about this trust issue. Because the mother of my child, the baby mama, you know nowadays when you're talking to people, it's not, you're not usually like, it's not usually like my wife and so on. It's like the mother of my child. When I'm looking after the baby, when it's my duty, I find that she phones up after a couple of hours and she wants to check up on me to see like, is everything okay? And he used to see it as maybe she's just being caring and so on. Then when I started to teach him about trust, he started thinking, oh, what's going on? And I said to him, do you know what you must do? You know how you build trust with her? Don't wait for her to phone. Proactively call up and say, or send a message and say, things are fine right now. We're doing this and this and this. Give her information. The lack of communication is eroding the trust. And it's also a mother thing. It's also a mom thing. Then I also explained to them that, you know, in my setup at home, um, you know, if we go on a date somewhere or we go to a wedding in the evening, I know that part of the narrative from time to time with my wife, instead of us just focusing on what we're talking about and so on, I know that part of her narrative will be, I just need to check up on the boys. I just want to see if the boys are okay. Amen. So it's a mom thing also. Number six. Remember we dealt with number five, which is trust. Number six, vulnerability. I've said to you a number of times in this church that you cannot develop emotional intimacy with another human being without some degree of vulnerability. You can't. And many of you, because of broken trust, because of wounds, if you're honest with yourself, you're not completely vulnerable, even with the people that you say you love. 
and there are consequences to that. And I'm going to talk about some of them. I love, I love um, how Brene Brown defines vulnerability. She says, it's uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. So when you're talking about being vulnerable, there's an element of uncertainty. How many of you know those of you who are about to get married, who are planning to get married, there's a risk, isn't there? And the risk is that, will this person stay the same? We know friends. Recently, we've got a friend, we've got a, we've got a particular couple we were friends with, or are friends with. And the guy basically, after a number of years of marriage, decided to stop being a Christian. That's, that's, that's risky, isn't it? It's risky business. Because what you get married to, there's no guarantee that the person will stay like that. Yeah, boyfriend is born again. That's fine. But what if 10 years down the line into marriage he decides, hey, this Christianity stuff, mm, I've changed my mind. And that's what this guy did. He says, I see things differently now. And how many of you know that if you change in terms of your faith, it affects your morality, your theology affects your morality. And that's what happened to this guy. What do you do? Many kids later. So when you make yourself vulnerable to another human being, there's the risk. There's the risk that they could use that against you. How many of you know that even with your spouse, before you open up about certain weaknesses, you kind of like pause, check, will this be okay? And then you go for it. And for some people it's worse than others. Some people it's pause, check, and then they go for it and they still make themselves vulnerable because they've got a value, they've got a principle to say that with this person I want to be transparent. I want them to know where I'm at. You see, part of vulnerability is being able to talk about sin, being able to talk about things that could be potentially shameful, but you do it without feeling shame because you know that this person loves you unconditionally. Amen? And how many of you know that it's a continuum? So I'm not going to say, how many of you are vulnerable? How many of you are not vulnerable in your intimate relationship? Because it's a continuum. You see, I make myself vulnerable when I share with you my weaknesses at the risk of having you use them against me or place me in a box. You see, I could say this is an area of weakness in my life right now. And then I move on from that weakness and two years down the line, you could still have put me in that box and remind me of that thing. I've had coaching sessions with people where people will well, relate to them in a certain way and then they say to me, but Paul, I I'm actually not who I was three years ago when you first knew me. I've actually moved on. I've had friendships like that where I will say to the person, are you still insecure about this or this? And they feel I've placed them in the box and they say, I've actually moved on. I remember someone saying that to me. It's a risk because we change, we grow, we develop, okay? I make myself vulnerable when I share with you my needs at the risk of having you not meet those needs. How many of you know if I share a need with my wife, there's a risk, isn't there? There's a risk that she might minimize that need and say, Paul, I didn't know you are this insecure. Is that a need for you, okay? So sometimes what we end up doing in our relationships is we protest instead of making ourselves vulnerable by communicating the need. In a lot of marriages today, you have someone becoming nitpicky. How come you're always late? Yeah, is your work more important than me? What about the kids? I also work, you know, right? And you have this person becoming nitpicky when in actual fact, they could have just made themselves vulnerable and say, honey, I really miss you. Honey, I just want more couch time. 
Honey, I want things to be like they were when we first got married. Honey, do you still love me? Now that's a risk, isn't it? Because he could turn around and say, let me just think about it, I'm not too sure. And you, you know that you're laughing? You're laughing? But there's situations that we deal with when we're counseling people. Even the situation I mentioned just earlier on, where someone would be like, hey, I think I've fallen out of love with you now. Honey, you know what? I'm not too sure if I'm in love with you. I love you, yes, I care about you, I do. But I don't know if I'm in love. It's risky business. But if we want our relationships to be pleasurable, if we want to experience blissful marriage, enjoyable friendships, enjoyable relationships with our siblings, there has to be some degree of vulnerability. It's a basic need God gave us. It's the need for connection. You know what happens when you, when you don't feel vulnerable, when you don't make yourself vulnerable? There's emotional distance. There's frustration. There are consequences to lack of vulnerability. Amen. Okay. I love what Paul says. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 to 10. He's talking about how God spoke to him. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly of my weaknesses. I'll boast more gladly of my weaknesses. In other words, I won't try to hide my weaknesses from you. I'll actually talk about them. And in talking about them, Jesus is glorified because I'm displaying my weakness. But in displaying my weakness, I'm saying the strength that you're seeing, the anointing that you're seeing, it's from him. How many of you know that God can't be glorified when you're not vulnerable? Because no flesh, the Bible tells us, no flesh will boast or will glory in my presence. Someone got that. I will boast all more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. If we want to be truly strong Christians, we have to be vulnerable first before God. Where we say, God, I'm completely dependent on you. I cannot do it in my own strength. Then if we want to connect with people relationally, there has to be some degree of vulnerability in those relationships. Amen. Let's go a little bit, let's go a little bit deeper. Let's look at Jesus because he's our example. Did Jesus make himself vulnerable? Yes, he did. Think about it at the cross. They teased him. They mocked him. Now Jesus says, you know what guys, I could call down a whole host of angels to sort you guys out, but I'm not doing so. You know that part of our vulnerability, it's allowing ourselves to be weak, but sometimes it's actually purposefully not using our strength. It's where you can destroy people because you know things about them, but you don't seek revenge. You leave that with God. You don't seek revenge and you're like, you know what, I could destroy this person, but I'm not going to. You're placing yourself in a place of vulnerability. I could defend myself right now, but I'm not going to. That's vulnerability. And we see Jesus there on the cross doing the same thing. Didn't defend himself. He didn't mock them back. He died for the very people. Isn't that amazing? Okay. 
We see it in the life of Jesus. We see it in the Garden of Gethsemane. When he wanted prayer support from his friends, he made himself vulnerable. We see it in the early part of his ministry when he didn't reveal who he was. When he says, guys, yes, okay, you now know who I am, but please don't tell everyone else. Why? My time has not yet come. Made himself vulnerable. Made himself vulnerable. And he's our example. Okay? He lowered himself and took the guise of a servant. You see, when you project this ideal image of yourself, this is me, guys. You always live bound by this fear of being found out. Not so. This fear that someone is going to come up one of these days and is going to say, dude, you ain't all that. Amen? That's what happens to us. Someone said, staying vulnerable is a risk we have to take if we want to experience connection. Staying vulnerable is a risk we have to take. There's also Brene Brown. It's a risk we have to take if we want to experience connection. Look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 36 to 45. I love this. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Verse 37. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Now someone wrote about this, right? So someone witnessed Jesus being troubled. Some of you, you're like, I'll never show people my tears. I coach certain individuals who've been through a hard time in the workplace. And they'll say, Paul, I actually didn't like the decision that these people made. But they will never know because I'm too proud to show them my disappointment. I'm too proud to show them my tears. And those very leaders now, those very same leaders, when I talk to them, they're saying, ah, yeah, but she handled it really well. She's one of the people who's handled it really well. It becomes awkward for me now. How do I tell them? In actual fact, uh, just look a bit deeper. She didn't handle it that well, but she's never going to show you. Are there certain people who need to be seeing you when you're troubled? Are there certain people where you're trying to position yourself as Superman, but they actually need to see you in weakness? So Jesus showed some of his disciples that he was sorrowful, he was troubled. In verse 38 it says, Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Some of you are like, Hey, but Paul is a leader. If you tell people that, Hmm... It'll discourage my followers. I need to show them that I'm Superman. No, sometimes they want to have that sense of, oh, my leader is saying, me too. Me too. I also go through what you guys go through. But I know how to bounce back. Amen. Right? He says, my soul is sorrowful even to death. And then he says, remain here and watch with me. So he's telling them his need. And he's asking a favor. And he says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face. Someone must have been watching him falling on his face because Jesus didn't write the book of Matthew. Are you hearing me? Someone was observing this, that, hey, there's Jesus. He's falling on his face. And Jesus knew they could check him out. It's not like Jesus looks back. Is anyone seeing me? Oh, father, father, father. No, right? And he says, he fell on his face and he prayed saying, my father. How did they know what he was praying? He was praying loudly and they could hear him because he had moved out farther, but they could still hear him. So he is crying out. He doesn't care what people think. And he says, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Isn't that beautiful? 
Let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples, to the disciples, and found them sleeping. Now imagine you've just said to people, guys, I'm going through a tough time. Can you offer prayer support? You go and you cry out, Father, this is tough. This is tough. This is tough. You go back and now the people you've made yourself vulnerable to are sleeping. You know what most of us will do? Never again. Let's call the other three. Let's call Thomas. Thomas, I know you were doubting the other day. Hey, Thomas, come. I'm now going to work with other people. But you know what Jesus does? He's made himself vulnerable. These guys fade away on him. And look what he does. He found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me for one hour? He gives them feedback. He tells them directly. He doesn't hold this thing like, hey, these guys. Hey, at least I'm going back to the Father just now. Let me just go through the cross. Hey, enough of this world. No, he, he told them how he felt. He says, guys, couldn't you watch with me just one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He's thinking of them. And then he says, then he frames it. Guys, you know what? I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I know. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I know your heart. I know you want to watch with me. He's not offended, right? That's trust. He's choosing to trust them. Again for the second time. So he doesn't give up on them. He went, and, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and he found them sleeping. For their eyes were heavy. Verse 44. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. Have you been hurt by people in this life? How are you treating them? Are you still vulnerable? Or are you allowing their weakness to change who you are? Do you like who you're becoming? Are you still that sweet, gentle, caring, loving person? Or has your love grown cold because people have faded on you? Have you rationalized away this thing called vulnerability? Where you're like, hey, Paul, you don't know my wife. People are different, Paul. With my wife, if I bring up that issue, I know she'll go crazy. So I've decided to just keep quiet. I was counseling someone, coaching someone the other day, and that was the situation. And I said to this person, but people change. And they said, you know what, you're actually right. Because with my husband, yes, I hesitate to bring up, so he writes out his prayer points. The person's husband is the pastor. He writes out his prayer points, and I actually have seen one of his prayer points is, I want to deal with my temper. I want to deal with this issue in my life. And I see it, Paul. And he's actually working on it. So maybe he's changing. But because you've been wounded five years ago, three years ago, you're like, mm -mm, I'm not going to make myself vulnerable. You've all gone quiet on me, so I know I must be scratching where it's itching. Amen. <laughs> Paul Quaylo, the author, in 11 minutes, he said, the strongest love is the love that can demonstrate its fragility. The strongest love is the love that can demonstrate its fragility. How many of you know that there's the fragile nature of love? Where you're showing love to someone, but at the same time in showing them love, you're also showing your brokenness. 
One of the things I wrote down here is when you're not vulnerable, then your husband has no beauty to rescue, ladies. When you don't make yourself vulnerable, then your husband has no beauty to rescue. One of the basic needs that a man has is to have a beauty to rescue. But you must be rescuable, ladies. You must allow yourself to be weak so he can rescue you. Otherwise, it's like having two dudes in the house. Otherwise, it's like, no, I can handle it myself. I will do it myself. No, I'll be strong. Because if I make myself vulnerable, I don't know what you're going to do to me in that weak state. And that's why I wrote down, when you are not vulnerable, then your husband has no beauty to rescue. He just has a protester to avoid. That's what happens. And he will. He will avoid you. Amen? You see, intimacy can be intimidating. However, it is an amazingly freeing experience when you can be completely who you are with someone you totally trust. A guy called Barton Goldsmith said that. Dr. Andrew Brosh said, when you make yourself vulnerable, you are able to express your most sacred thoughts and feelings. You can share yourself with others authentically and without apology. Vulnerability is also about exposing your flaws, your secrets, and darker sides without shame. We need to make it easy for people to be vulnerable with us. Often when I'm counseling people, I'll say to them, you know what, I can see you're a bit nervous because you feel ashamed of what you've done. But I want to tell you something. I've counseled so many people that there's nothing, there's nothing that you can tell me that's going to shock me. I, I promise you I would have seen worse. And I, I say that to them and then they relax. Oh, okay, so there are other people in this situation. <laughs> what are you doing to make people feel safe with you? What stops you from making yourself vulnerable? If you think of emotional expression as being weak, then you will resist being vulnerable. If you've been brought up in a family where you're like, cowboys don't cry. If you're a real man, you never show your tears. If you've got that mindset, even though Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible, right? And he's our example. My son Daniel comes to me the other day and he says, Daddy, I've, I, how come I, I just see women crying only? And I've, I, I don't know, I hardly ever see a man crying. Dad, do you sometimes cry? Then I say, you know what, I think it's because some men don't want to show that they're crying. So they hide it from people. But a lot of men do cry. And I sometimes cry. Don't you see me when we're watching those movies and so on and I sometimes cry. Then I say to my wife, my love, are you a bit teary there? And sometimes she's like, no. Okay, well, I am. <laughs> Men, whatever we do, we pass on to our children. Because what Daniel was really asking is, dad, sometimes I feel like crying, but I never see you crying. Is it okay for me to cry? That's what he's really asking. And he's good with, with language and words and EQ. So he can articulate that. Amen? If you learn to value your own feelings and you see those feelings as important, you'll be more compelled to express yourself. I felt insecure yesterday with my boss, you might say. I felt frustrated with that client of mine. You're in touch with your emotional state. And we're going to do a whole series sometime on EQ. It's going to be called EQ Ultra on biblical emotional intelligence. Amen. 
I'm struggling a bit with my work and I need your support. You're making yourself vulnerable. Oh guys, please pray for my voice. It's feeling a bit scratchy because I've taught for over 30 hours, 31 hours this week. That's, that's real life, my situation this week. Okay? You're able to talk about what you're going through. You're able to articulate it. Amen? I'm going to close with this verse. And this is a qualifier for all of this. Because I know some of you are worried and you're thinking, does that mean I must be open with everyone? Does that mean I must trust everyone? No, it doesn't. We're not called to be vulnerable with everyone. But we are called to be in strong, healthy relationships. And there need to be a number of people we are dealing with where there's that vulnerability. If it's your spouse, you need to be vulnerable. They must know you in your weak points and not just your strong points. There must be some degree of vulnerability with your boss and your work colleagues. There must be some degree of vulnerability with people who you're building a friendship with. So it depends on the nature of the relationship. John chapter 2, verse 23 to 24. And Paul, you can come up, please. John chapter 2, verse 23 to 24. The Bible here says, speaking of Jesus, it says, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the signs he was doing and believed in his name. So he was gaining popularity. Amen. Many people saw the signs that he was doing and they believed in his name. Verse 24. But Jesus did not entrust himself to them for he knew all men. Some translations say, the NIV says, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. The NLT says, but Jesus didn't trust them. So he didn't trust everyone because he knew human, human nature. So if people praise you and they say, you're wonderful, you're wonderful, we love you, pastor, you're all, we love you so much. I don't entrust myself to everyone because I know that the heart is wicked, it's deceitful above all else, the Bible says. So I'm not going to be like, oh, they love me so much. Oh, We're not called to make ourselves vulnerable to every single person. There were certain moments of vulnerability for Jesus. But you know that before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, it says he chose certain disciples to take with him. Before he prayed, raising the dead, he, he shut out everyone else and he says, Mom, Dad, you come here, the mother and father of the child, and these three disciples of mine. And he did what he did. God has called us to be high trust leaders where we are trustworthy and we trust people. It's called the reciprocal nature of trust. Trust breeds trust. People are more likely to trust you when you show that you can trust them. And then God has also called us to a place of vulnerability in our relationships. Go and have the conversation. Ask your spouse, are you completely vulnerable with me? Where do you hold back? You can't force it on people. Each person has their journey. Amen. Let's pray.